0: The Northern Overexposure Podcast. And it's a special episode because this week it's the Halloween episode.
1: Trick or treat. Happy Halloween. We begin with Chris in the morning, uh, sort of bringing us up to speed and, uh, you know, kind of ringing in the season as it were.
0: Yeah. This is the very first Halloween or even seasonal episode, right? Yeah. I
1: don't think there's been a Christmas episode or like a Hanukkah episode or yeah, there, there hasn't been a holiday
0: episode, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. None of the wait. What were you talking about again? Wait. Oh. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, okay. We are talking about Northern Exposure, CBS television series, 1990. We overanalyze each episode.
1: That's right. My name is Lee. I've seen the episode. Um, well, I've seen this episode before, but I've seen the series quite a few times.
0: Oh, right. I, I should introduce myself. I forgot about that. I've done this so many times. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten so good at the pitch, but not my name. Uh, my name is Charles and I've never seen it. This is the first time watching it. And that's why I was surprised that this was the first time that we delved into a holiday special.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be. I mean, Halloween is probably one of my favorite holidays. I'm happy to have uh, a nice Halloween episode here to, to sort of start the trend of, uh, of holiday episodes.
0: It's your f- it's your favorite holiday? Uh,
1: it's one of my favorite holidays,
0: yeah. Like, is it because it continued as a kid or did you feel this way as an adult that this is your favorite holiday?
1: Definitely as a kid, it, it's, a, it's a great holiday. You know, all the candy, yada, yada. But um, I think as an adult, it's just because it has sort of the culture behind it of scary movies, um, monsters. That's something I've always enjoyed as a kid and still enjoy as an adult.
0: Didn't you do this thing where you watched a scary movie every single day in October?
1: Right, yeah, I've I've attempted it before. I think uh, the closest I've gotten is 28 or 29 scary movies in October. Um, Yeah, so the the idea being you would watch a horror movie a day. Uh, And I actually have some friends who have adopted that tradition and I think have actually successfully... Uh, completed thirty-one horror movies in a in a month.
0: Oh, they ran the gauntlet. They I think it? so.
1: Yeah, I have a friend who does it still, and um, he's actually he's still we're in sort of November now, the beginning days of November and he's still posting like his, <laughs> because because I, I think he probably didn't finish them all in uh, October, but he's, but he's like, I he's thought dedicated. he was just going
0: over. I thought he was just like, I'm just going to keep uh, watching it. <laughs> three, six, three,
1: six, five days.
0: <laughs> Every day,
1: four movie. <laughs> um, no, so he, he's definitely still determined to finish it. Um, mm.
0: I'm such a huge fan of this being a Halloween episode, not because it's Halloween, but because it's a seasonal episode. That's one of the things that I miss most about broadcast television because mm. they would always air in correspondence to the day. Yeah. So streaming you watch any time and there's no rhyme or reason when uh, a television show is released in terms of streaming but for broadcast shows a lot of times it's during the fall that it's released and they know ahead of time that it's like okay well we're coming out in the fall let's do a Halloween and then yeah. we'll do a couple more episodes and then we'll do like a Thanksgiving possibly and then a Christmas episode and we'll just plan it out like that I don't know if they're filmed consecutively like that but they have that in they mind that plan. At the least.
1: yeah this the release date for this episode was October 28th 1991 so right Perfect. before you know Halloween. I think this was still when it was coming on on Mondays. So the Monday before Halloween, you know?
0: Yeah, I really like that. And it's that social aspect of television that I really miss where you go around the water cooler and talk with your coworkers or your friends about like the latest
1: Yeah, what's going hitter. on. It's yeah. very topical in the moment.
0: You, mm-hmm. know? you just don't have that anymore. But this brings me back.
1: Hey, this, this brings me back to episode two or three. Anyway, it shares the same writer as uh, Brains Know How. This is Stuart Stevens who wrote this episode. Do you recall much about when we were talking about Stuart Stevens?
0: Uh, he, is he the speechwriter for Mitt Romney?
1: Yeah, he was the top strategist for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign. I think we kind of talked about it in that episode of the podcast. <laughs> just how, you know, it's such a strange thing to be a TV show, a writer on a TV show. It, you know, your career could go from, Where did he, when you try to look up Stuart Stevens, there is a, um, a little bit about him being a travel writer and obviously there's a little segment on his Wikipedia page about TV and film, writing for Northern Exposure and, and a couple other things. But pretty much everything about his life is uh, centered around his politics. And I mean, obviously, I guess that's probably one of the more important um, roles that he's filled in his life. But it's just funny to think this guy who, maybe he was a travel writer at the time, but he just decided he wanted to write for TV. And then years later decided he wanted to just focus on politics.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't think those two skill sets come into mind unless you wrote for the West Wing. Because I remember West Wing had a lot of political people go on and write on to the show. But Northern Exposure is like, it's not the opposite of politics, but it's mostly philosophical. It doesn't deal with, uh, it doesn't really uh, politicize anything. So I'm surprised that Stu will go work on this.
1: Yeah, it seems like, I'm trying to figure out like what his life path was but the earliest sort of foray into politics it seems was in um stevens uh, Stuart stevens worked for bob dole uh bob oh, dole's serious? campaign 1996 bob dole yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I, so yeah that would that would have been um post northern exposure
0: hello this is a quick punch and edit from the future i just wanted to present a few speech who transitioned from politics to television here are a few examples Eli Addy was Al Gore's speechwriter, and he went on to write and produce *The West Wing*. Alston Ramsey was a speechwriter for the Pentagon and wrote the movie *Midnighters*. And John Lovett was one of Obama's speechwriters who created the TV series *1600 Pen and was a writer for *The Newsroom*. So while it's not common, it's also not unheard of. You know what? Uh, you know what Mitt Romney's favorite song is? Uh. What? Go ahead. It's the Four Seasons, December 1963. <laughs> uh, oh, what a Night. Is that his favorite song or is
1: that like his uh, campaign song? Or no, what?
0: that's his favorite song. It's just... <laughs> it could actually... Yeah, it's such a fitting song for Mitt Romney. You think so? Why? Yes. Descri- tell me why. Oh, uh, it's just... Uh, you've heard of the song, right? Yeah, we, I, yeah. we can't play it. We absolutely <laughs> do not have the rights for it. But it's a fairly popular Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons song. And it's just... Uh, you know, Cool in the Gang Celebration? Yeah. It's like in that style. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let's get back to it. So this, this episode begins with the cold open. Uh, as we were saying, Chris is ringing in the Halloween season. And he has a little bit of exposition, like a little bit of setup. He brings up the point that Barbara Szymanski is in town. That's the sort of police officer. Not really Sicily PD, but just like neighboring towns. Because Sicily doesn't really have a police department. But.
0: No, and she is being Inspector Javert.
1: Yeah, he he equates her to Inspector Javert, which I guess is the reference to the villain in um, Les Miserables.
0: Mm, Not necessarily the villain. okay. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I guess you can say he's the villain, but... uh, Antagonist? Yeah, well, like, he can be... I might catch a lot of flack for (laughs) this, but he could be construed as like an anti-hero. Like there is a reason why he is the way he is.
1: But so yeah, uh, Simansky is known to visit Sicily every once in a while, and it seems that she and Maurice are on good terms again. Like every episode, either begins with them on good terms and ends with them uh, kind of broken up. But but this is an episode where I think they're together. They're a couple, and uh, as far as I can tell. There's no breakup. They're still together by the end of the episode,
0: right? Yeah, I think they're still an item.
1: Yeah. Either way, she's she's in town. Um, so Chris is just trying to warn uh, the the listeners not to do anything stupid like cow tipping or... What is he, he says outhouse tipping, right? Yeah,
0: outhouse tipping.
1: <laughs> anything like that, vandalism. But uh, we quickly go to Joel. Joel is preparing dinner as he normally does. This is a microwave dinner. I, I like that a lot of the episodes... In um, this season, you know, begin with Joel making dinner. Like, wasn't uh, the first episode, like, he's kind of, like, cutting up a little charcuterie? Yeah. He doesn't really cook. So he, he's always at home at night getting ready to eat dinner, and then something crazy happens to him.
0: Yeah. This was before the credits because when he gets his head hit, right, that's, when, that's it, when it fades into credits. So right what there. happens here? Yeah. Yeah. So he's eating some TV dinners, which... <laughs> I did not know if you knew this, but did you know the first TV dinners was made for ovens and not microwaves?
1: Oh, yeah. I can I can see that, yeah. yeah. So it predates the microwave.
0: Yeah, it wasn't for microwave until 1986. Yeah, sorry. I, I think right. I called
1: it a microwave dinner, but I guess TV dinner would be...
0: Oh, they're the called more- all sorts of things. That That's right, dude. Yeah. Microwave dinner, TV okay. dinner, made-for-ready dinner, all of them are... The same thing, Joel
1: has a microwave in his apartment. I didn't expect his uh cabin to be outfitted with that. Maybe it's something he bought from Ruth and
0: it's season three. It's <laughs> a good so theory, actually. Gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's trying to eat his whatever you like to call it dinner. Got and a
1: little bottle of wine, too. Sorry, I didn't oh, need to yeah, interject. Yeah, yeah. But couldn't really tell what the label was, but you know, you got to stay classy. Joel is a, a doctor <laughs> who likes to brag about knowing wine, so of
0: course. And he gets a knock on the door, and it turns out that. I can't tell if it's the day of Halloween or it's leading up to Halloween. Mm-hmm. I think it is Halloween. I think it's Halloween. I think yeah. it's Halloween. And we're introduced to a new character, Frank. Yeah. Looking for some candy. Frank
1: Watson, he says. he he Yeah, he kind of drops his full name uh, right there in the scene. Yeah, he's this grown man uh, sort of dressed in a red devil, you know, outfit, cape, and plastic horns. Mm-hmm. He's got like a wise guy, sort of big city accent. He's, he's sort of a shorter man. Uh, but they kind of get into an argument arguing... Um, what's going on here? Frank wants candy and Joel thinks it's ridiculous. Well, uh, first of all, Joel doesn't have any candy.
0: Yeah, he He's wasn't expecting... Yeah, he wasn't expecting... Anyone to approach his house, right? Yeah, and he even he references it. He's like, I'm on a lake with no name. Yeah, How could this you lake find is me so here? remote.
1: It doesn't even have a name. <laughs> Why would you come here for candy?
0: Yeah, and um, eventually he has to bribe him off with a dime.
1: Yeah, I think at first... Joel mentions he doesn't have any candy. He has, like, a banana or something, maybe. Yeah, banana um, and some mac and cheese. And, and Frank says, okay, give me the banana. He's like, <laughs> no. like, no. He's like, no. He tries to give him a dime, and I think that just offends Frank. So, What is... Oh, Frank sprays him with silly strength. That's what yeah.
0: happens.
1: And so... Uh, yeah, Joel gets a little punked and he tries to chase after Frank. I guess uh, it being so dark and his uh, face being filled with silly string, he doesn't notice the support beam on his porch, which mm-hmm. he runs directly into, and boom, he's knocked out.
0: Yeah, worst Halloween guest ever. Can <laughs> you? Yeah. How was he just carrying that with him, or was he hoping to vandalize something?
1: Uh, yeah, maybe it was. A, maybe he was hoping to vandalize. Chris kind of, um, Chris sort of brought it up on the airwaves before. You know that maybe that's. Uh, typical in Sicily, people vandalizing, staying out late on Halloween night, just, uh, sort of like, uh, what episode is that? Is it, um, with like the full moon? Do you remember that episode? Is it Aurora Morales? Yeah, Royalist? that no. was
0: season two, episode six, I want to say. No, that was War and Peace. Then episode five. Five, was, spring yeah, break. Yeah, it was special guest with Jay.
1: No, no, no. There's, that's the, there's so many episodes, I'm realizing now that the townsfolk just go crazy. Like spring break is one of those, but that's because the ice is melting. Then
0: there's another oh, one because shoot. there's um, You're right. like a big moon. Yeah, right? there's a big moon.
1: It's the Aurora Borealis, maybe? I think it is. Anyway, people in Sicily seem to go crazy a lot. And um, <laughs> I guess on Halloween, Chris has to do a PSA just to make sure people don't vandalize. Um, okay, sorry, we're getting off track. Uh, Joel <laughs> hits his head. We go to credits, music. And um, yeah, what do we pick up from there? Oh, wait. Yeah, we've entered uh, sort of the fantasy. Um, Well, I guess you don't really know it when you're watching it, but it's just a strange episode.
0: Well, I actually got spoiled on that. I was kind of sad. I was looking up Halloween episodes mm-hmm. and Northern Exposure popped up and there's like a short synopsis for each Halloween episode. And right. It explicitly says in the first like five words that Joel experiences a hallucination. Mm. And I didn't know that. And yeah. watching the episode, I actually thought the blurb was wrong. I was like, this doesn't look like yeah, because they play a hallucination.
1: It, they play it as truth um, pretty much the whole episode in, until the ending. Um, so, it, you know, it begins as just being like another weird, wacky episode of Northern Exposure. Uh, what, what what are we talking about? A, a cab, an Acme cab rolls into Main Street, Sicily. It's actually a really cool shot. It's all starts very wide. It's sort of a crane shot up in the sky. And then as the taxi cab rolls in, uh, we sort of get closer to the ground and get really close to the taxi. The taxi door opens and we see some loafers in a pinstripe suit exit the cab. And it's uh, for all intents and purposes, Rob Morrow, uh, Joel Fleischman with some shades, slicked back hair and a cigarette. Um, the cab driver. You want to talk about the cab driver here? <laughs>
0: <Please>. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently he drove from Manitoba, I guess, because that's where the guest is from in the back. Right. So I'm assuming he picked her up. But at the I same think time they've the been traveling
1: since before Manitoba because it says they've been in the cab for three days. Is that what he says? Yeah. Three yeah. days. From New York, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that's oh, where Jules is from. Oh, you're
0: right. You're right, yeah. Yeah, this cabbie is
1: sort of like a weird, stereotypical Indian accent cabbie from New York. He, he's he got a New York Yankees ball cap. And yeah, his accent is just very thick and pretty false. He, he's obviously a white guy. Maybe he has a little bit of brown face on. But I had to look it up on IMDb. This this actor is uh, Ben DiGregorio. He's known for playing characters that range from polka-dancing German restaurateurs to quirky Russian immigrants, um, Pakistani cab drivers, and of course Italians, which I guess he must be uh, assuming from the last name and Italian uh, heritage.
0: Huh. So he's multi-ethnic enough to play a wide gamut of background characters?
1: Yeah, one of those, I guess, like character actors who just gets assigned. Since he's ethnic-looking enough, he could just play anything.
0: There's also... What appears to be some jazz music, I don't think we've ever heard of this before.
1: Yeah, this is some new score. It's very, I definitely got Twin Peaks vibes pretty quickly. Like That's what I was getting too. I don't know if it's in this scene, but throughout the episode, there's a lot of music that's this weird sort of like shiesty jazz. I almost want to believe that there might be some finger snapping, but I'm not totally sure. There's definitely some vibraphone going on in mm-hmm. some of these uh, pieces of music, which definitely evokes Sort of the Twin Peaks feel. And, and this is just such a strange episode of this show.
0: Yeah, but I can't help but think that they're taking a lot of Twin Peaks essences into this episode, especially in that scene where Chris is being lighted up in K-Bear and it's red.
1: Oh yeah, that's, I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead, but I definitely, let's talk about that. There's a lot of sort of red lighting in K-Bear, which is kind of common in Northern Exposure, but this is very uh, heightened and very stylized. I think that's um, when chris is receiving a phone call it's sort of he's got this segment called mea culpa where people can call in and it's frank watson the guy from the the first scene with joel he keeps calling in and apparently frank knows chris or or knew chris's father mm-hmm. frank is also from wheeling west virginia and as chris clears it up on the air he says this is a." Uh, this is a, l- a little bit of backstory for Frank. Frank Watson is responsible for a string of bombings in the greater downtown Wheeling area. So we've got this kind of mad bomber call in and there's a few scenes like that where Frank is on the line and Chris is n- not really sure how to... I guess Chris is trying to control the, the situation. Right? Oh, he doesn't you, want it to go. He doesn't want it to explode, uh, no pun intended.
0: Yeah, you're missing a whole lot of puns, man. Trying to <laughs> defuse the situation. Come on, man, you're missing it. <laughs> Yeah. So, is this a new segment, the Mia Copa segment, or have I just not been paying attention? I'm pretty sure it's new. I think
1: also I'm I'm bringing it up because I remember looking at the Moose Chick entry for this episode. I think it's a new segment.
0: Okay. Yeah. What an interesting idea. Is this the one? Because Mia Copa in Latin means through my fall, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, is this? Segment where people call in to confess their crimes?
1: Yeah, and I guess that's kind of what the whole this whole story arc is about. Maybe we start with this one. Um, yeah, we've kind of set it up already, but Chris has got to control this situation. He seems to be the only link to Frank. I don't know if it's the first time that Frank calls in, but he calls in and says, I'd like to turn myself in, but I want you to do it. I want Chris in the morning to turn, turn me in. I guess they must have some sort of um, history together. It's kind of hard to tell.
0: Yeah, I actually hear this is fairly common in the entertainment world. Yeah, even for like small Ooh. bit radio players or like TV personalities on like the local news channel, they get a lot of strange, creepy mail and or callers. Apparently this is very common. In fact, that's why they don't use their real name on air because they've gotten too many stalkers.
1: Oh, that's why uh, radio DJs you're saying? Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah, and Chris yeah, lives in a small town, uh, Sicily, so don't have to worry about it. Uh, I guess it's kind of
1: backfired now, but... Um, yeah, let's talk about that scene because I really like that lighting. Um, we learn a little bit about Frank's personality. He seems sort of obsessive. Uh, he he's just very upset about okay things like he one time he tried to return a garment of clothing because the seam was split, and then apparently another time he was sold a linky camper shell. Basically, this the system, you know, for lack of a better term, has screwed him over time and time again. He's like trying to fight back in the only way he knows, which was to blow up a a chain of department stores. Apparently no one was injured, but yeah, I mean, it's very drastic measure, but I guess he just felt powerless in this situation. So yeah, it's in this scene that the lighting gets very dramatic. The camera, I think it's actually a very well executed scene. It's, I think it mostly plays out in in just one shot. As Chris is listening, one side of his face is dark uh, in shadows. The other side is brightly lit red and as Chris is listening to this uh, obsessive caller, the camera's moving in slowly, closer and closer. And you can see Chris, um, as he's listening, he, he's not talking, he can't really do anything, but he's kind of looking around outside the glass pane window of k Bear trying like almost he feels like he's almost being watched because mm-hmm. he's sort of peering aw- around and he sort of ducks and hides behind some of the foreground elements, uh, like in, on his desk in front of him it's really great it captures the essence of uh, sort of the the cinematography that you would see in a horror movie sort of like the slow creeping in getting closer and closer to Chris
0: yeah I love all the elements that go together to make a good quote-unquote scary scene so we have the lighting that we talked about that's in the works then you have the camera itself adding on to the horror theme and then finally the actor is the final tool to use so when you combine all elements and all these aspects it makes for a really good scary scene and the whoever i forgot did you did we say who directed the episode
1: uh we did not let's uh give a give a little shout out Jim Heyman. Mr. Heyman did a great job on this scene. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of elements in play here. And all these decisions aren't just uh, an accident. You know, these are very planned out and and provide for a very creepy uh, sort of vibe.
0: So we next see that Chris is trying to alert Maurice to the bomber, like to the criminal.
1: Yeah, I think, is it in K-Bear? Like Maurice comes in, he's just about to go. Yeah, he's he's just just about to leave. Takes Szymanski on the date. And you can tell Maurice, his mind is not on that. He doesn't really care about this uh, mad bomber situation. But it serves, um, this scene serves a good purpose. If, you know, it builds those stakes up. If it wasn't clear enough, you can tell that basically Maurice spells it out. What is it? Chris is asking Maurice... Can't we get Samansky just to apprehend this guy? Like, can you please like ask her for some help? Mm -hmm. And Maurice says, "No, I mean, like, if you do it that way, you know, Frank is probably going to get paranoid and he may blow up the whole thing, the whole operation with some C four or something. If Frank thinks you're going to double cross him, then you've already lost." And so Maurice says this kind of um, -of matter-of-factly and and uh, nonchalantly, I guess, but obviously this is really wreaking havoc on Chris's psyche. And, you know, I guess this, this is the scene where we understand that, you know, this could be a dark episode.
0: Yeah, uh, also, you can just report this to the FBI. Like, this is a federal crime. This is not a local issue where you report to your local policeman. Yeah. Yeah, he was thinking way too small on that. I guess, well,
1: I mean, they're so, I guess the, the idea is that they're so secluded, you know, that if even if they called in the FBI, they wouldn't be there, like, in time, you know?
0: That's true. And like, Szymanski mostly... is the
1: closest... The closest option,
0: law enforcement officer, that they have. Mm-hmm. So I think
1: the next uh, bullet in this plot line is uh, when Chris sort of seeks advice from Ed, maybe, or maybe they're just sharing some company at the brick. It's at the brick, right? I thought it was at K Bear. Maybe it's at K Bear. Yeah, because I feel like Chris is like sort of trapped. It's still there. light.
0: Uh, I remember the red lighting, so it's still yeah. K Bear.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I feel like Chris is kind of trapped there for most of the episode. Uh, what is actually before he even they even kind of get into it ed is is referring to the movie psycho did you remember this he says something about Jan, janet lay which is what he says which i think it's actually pronounced janet lee I, um the actress in psycho
0: yeah the one that gets stabbed
1: with the knife right in the yeah. shower that's i just thought that was pretty uncharacteristic for ed he's such a movie buff and he's even like referencing you know a classic piece of cinema history but he gets the pronunciation of the actress's name wrong.
0: Well, in his credit, I didn't know it was pronounced that way either.
1: (laughs) I just think he he would know. But why does he bring that up? I think they're talking about sort of this, um, Chris is just imagining like walking away from this whole situation. But the idea is if you walk away from it now, it's always going to be a possibility. Like if you don't end it, if you don't find the solution now, then 20 years from now, Frank is going to show up again. Yeah,
0: he's always going to be watching behind his back to make sure Frank's not there. And like you said earlier, it could be like that shower scene in Psycho. Where that's, Frank yeah. comes in and ambushes that's how he them. brings
1: that up. Yeah. So it's like always having that fear lingering behind you. There are, I'm trying to remember, because there are a few instances in this episode where characters uh, sort of tell a scary story. And this is one scene where Ed is telling a scary story to Chris. I don't think he's doing it purposefully, but um, it's it's that's kind of the setup. The uh, I I just love that in, in movies and in TV, when horror movies actually feature people trying to scare other people, not like killers or ghosts trying to scare, but like humans and, and uh, you know our protagonists, like our, char- our cast of characters, trying to play like a a joke, like a scare on on other people. I think that's great, but I think inadvertently, I don't think Ed is actually trying to do that. He's mm. telling the story about the man named
0: Suiho. You remember this? Oh, uh, he's got a funny name. I don't know if it's Suiho. Uh-huh.
1: Maybe, that's what I have written down, but it could be an autocorrect uh, <laughs> from my word document. But do you remember what happens in this story?
0: Yeah, uh, there was he an officer? Uh he was like a
1: crazy man or something, right? And yes, lots of red light in this scene. I have that written down. Mm-hmm. It was a psycho who chopped up eight minors,
0: right? Yeah, he chopped up eight minors and the person that has to go investigate. I forgot if right. that was the officer. I think
1: it was like a sheriff. Or, a sheriff. Yes.
0: Some sort of law enforcement officer. And that person has to go apprehend. Yeah. Is that where? I think it's Suiho. That's where we're going to go okay. with. Okay. <laughs> Let's call him Suiho. But Suiho only wants to meet up with him and only yeah. him. So he says, meet me up in the mine. So Chris says, well, how does the story end? And Ed says, oh, yeah, no, know. He chopped them up into like uh, pieces of chicken like Dave does in the kitchen.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Dave. Good Dave reference. Uh, uh, Callback. You would call him chef, right? He's not like a. What is a line cook even? Oh gosh. <laughs> well, let's just say he's like there. the captain. We're gonna call him general of uh, the kitchen, so we don't know how hierarchy works in in the <laughs> in,
0: in the kitchen. I, I didn't. I never had to work fast food when I was yeah. a teenager, well, so that, I yeah. don't know.
1: Anyway, yeah. So you get the you get the picture. Like Ed is telling a scary story without realizing it, and yeah. he delivers. Horrifying punchline. So um, we send
0: Chris off with some Jenners out into the woods to go meet up with him. Yeah, he's going out, to like, meet uh, to yeah. Frank.
1: He's yeah. going out to meet, I guess, there. Uh, what is it? Oh, sorry. Sorry to kind of backtrack, but I think it's an interesting way they bring it up. Mm-hmm. It's. I think it's at the end of the ad scene. Chris gets a call in and he picks up the phone and we can't really hear Frank on the other line. We only hear Chris and he says, um, yeah, sure, I'll meet you wherever. And then there's like a pause and he says, well, can we meet somewhere closer? Like, I don't understand." And then like the phone line hangs up. So you get this sense that he's going to be alone out in the middle of nowhere.
0: Yeah. And they underscore it with a joke by saying, oh, somewhere near streetlights.
1: That's what he says. Like, can not we like come, come a little closer, you know, somewhere with streetlights? But I think Frank hangs up before Chris can finish his story. Yeah. So or they're going to... His mm-hmm. request.
0: Mm-hmm. So they're going to meet up by the lake and he's finally going to meet Frank and... I guess he's never met him before because he's surprised by his stature.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's so. Yeah, I think I had maybe misremembered that. Perhaps they share some sort of common history, but really, I think it's just that Frank recognizes uh, Chris because he, Frank knew Chris's father so Ape much. Abe Stevens, yeah, yeah. He's like, you really are Abe Stevens' boy, aren't you? Like his kid or something. They they share a resemblance, and yeah, so. What is it? Frank is wearing a dynamite vest. He's got the detonator in one hand. Mm -hmm. And what exactly happens, they kind of get onto the subject of a Napoleon complex or, you know, sort of a little short statured. I don't know exactly how it comes up. Something that Chris does or says kind of puts Frank ill at ease and Frank yeah starts. I think
0: he's referencing his well like he doesn't explicitly reference his height but he looks at him in an odd manner and yeah. he interprets it as a slight against him by saying like oh is it because of my height is yeah. it because of this Frank and is like starts, filling
1: in the blanks yeah that then, Chris never said any of that mm-hmm.
0: but and then Chris has to defend himself and says like oh no there's like plenty of people that were short of stature and yeah. still uh, really intimidating, and he says Napoleon as one of them. But yeah. Napoleon was actually five foot seven.
1: Uh, Napoleon is listed as being five foot two, but those are in like
0: French measurements or something. I thought the story I was told was that it was propaganda. People wanted to make it seem as if Napoleon was short, when in actuality he was, if anything, like above average. I think
1: according to the according to the Google, uh, yeah, five seven was his probably accurate height but according to records i guess he was 5 foot 2 inches in the french measurement system which it would have been around 5 foot 6 in the british system oh. so average size not not very tall but not short not as short as you know 5 foot 2 in, in our measurement system mm.
0: did you know that george washington was over 6 feet tall and it was actually an anomaly because wow. most people were 5 foot 6 yeah. in the american in revolution time. times yeah so in my mind i think that oh, 5 God. foot 7 is pretty tall for yeah, ooh, for, for back that time, in that era but, yeah Yeah,
1: that's weird. Um, How did we get here? Yeah. Oh, right. Short stature. So I think what it is is um, whenever Chris goes to meet Frank, he's at this point, it's like the peak, pinnacle of him being freaked out and scared. Mm -hmm. Chris is not ready for this. And actually, as he's waiting before Frank gets there, I think a bat flies by do you wait remember that I didn't catch that it's something flies by it's just sort of like a sort of a jump scare but it's not even really it's not photographed to be like a jump scare but it's just this moment where Chris is alone like he's mm. waiting for Frank and some bats fly by and it's I just, I just thought it was kind of goofy I didn't really get it but um, <laughs> no so I think what actually happens is when he does meet Frank they're just like Frank's like okay let's do it I'm ready
2: <sighs> I've waited a long time for this day I've thought about it An end to the running, a chance to be heard, you know? Well, let's go. Okay. Okay? Yeah, Frank, let's
1: let's get the hell out of here.
0: No, 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 no. Okay, what?
1: All right, Frank. I create all this anxiety when you called and, you know, I fabricated this whole
2: scenario out here in the woods, you know. With the mad bomber? Right. (laughs) So I'm not what you expected. You expected somebody else. Somebody dangerous? A bigger person, maybe. No. no. Huh? Say it, I'm sure. A piffle, an elf, a midget, a dwarf. Oh, don't worry about Frank. Frank is no problem. Hey, shorty, why don't you get up off your knees? Frank, listen to me. You are not that short. Yeah? How tall are you? Frank, Frank, short's good. Short's good. Better balance, lower center
1: of gravity. You know, think of it. All all the tough guys. They weren't giants. Bruce Lee, uh,
2: Napoleon, 5'2", conquered Europe. Uh, Edward G. Robinson, uh, James Cagney. James Cagney. I like James Cagney. Uh, Right, right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... That's actually the end of Chris Frank storyline, I think, because a large portion of the story in this episode is a hallucination that Joel has. So this plot line doesn't really get resolved. We do see Chris again um, in this episode, but outside of uh, the Joel hallucination dream. Yeah. Should we hop into there,
0: I guess? Yeah, I think we should take it back to the A plot, what the connecting piece would be, which is the idea that Joel is in a dream, which I have to say, right off the bat, is bullshit. <laughs> because I hate those types of plot lines where it's like, oh, it was all a dream.
1: Yeah, they I can't believe they to, did that. They try to play it off. Um, we'll go through the whole storyline, but the way they play it off in the ending of this episode is sort of like a Wizard of Oz vibe. <sighs> you know, Joel wakes up after the dream, and he's surrounded by all his friends, Maggie and Ed. There's some two people in the background just hanging out, and Hauling comes to the window. It's the scene where Dorothy wakes up in Wizard of Oz. Yeah. It's, you know, it's shot the, a very similar way. Some of the dialogue is similar. Um, what does Joel
2: say? You ran into the railing, Fleischman, and these guys found you, and you just had a bad dream. No, it wasn't a dream. It was real, and, and you were there, and, and he was there, and him. Sometimes weird things happen.
1: Yeah, so it it even kind of elicits the same dialogue as Wizard of Oz. Did you notice, um, I guess it's the two hunters that found him in the back that are like sitting in the background? Yeah, what about them? Did any of them look familiar to you? No. Was I supposed to recognize them? No, I mean, they're technically not recurring characters, though the the man on the right has acted in this series uh, in the first season. It's the same actor as Ranger Burns. Really? Yeah, it's not Ranger Burns, though. I think he has a different name. He's credited as something else, but it is the same actor as Ranger Burns, and I don't know. I miss Ranger Burns, man.
0: I wonder why they did that. Why didn't they just cast a new actor in so many questions?
1: is a a local guy, I guess, and maybe they liked him. I guess. Maybe someone uh, couldn't, maybe he was like sort of a backup, and the person who's supposed to play this uh, stand-in sort of Mm. background guy. Uh, couldn't show up, maybe got sick.
0: I don't yeah, know. I like that theory.
1: <laughs> I, I totally didn't catch that, that I was Ranger Burns, though. I like Ed's uh, offering of sort of an explanation. He says, sometimes weird things just happen.
0: And to top it all off, the Hunters are from Topeka, Kansas. Yeah,
1: I thought, so This the way that information is dealt, it's after Joel has woken up and he realizes, he knows it's a dream now because he, he realizes he doesn't actually have a brother named Jules. And they all leave him. He's just sitting in bed alone. Mm-hmm. And, but you still hear people talking as they're exiting his house. And you can hear like the truck like engine starting. And that's when they kind of say, it's all off-screen dialogue. It's like, yeah, I hope you um, get back to Topeka safe or something. Yeah, and Joel says,
0: Kansas. And kind of like smirks and then goes back to bed.
1: I think it's fun to do this sort of homage to Wizard of Oz. And actually, when I did a little bit of research on this episode, it's not on the DVD, but the very last scene when Chris is sort of doing his uh, closing monologue, Mm -hmm. the music that aired was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Oh. I actually kind of like the music that is on the DVD. I'm sort of, uh, maybe it's blasphemy for saying that Mm -hmm. because they replaced the music here, but I feel like Somewhere Over the Rainbow playing over that ending is a little too much, too on the nose, too obvious.
0: Yeah, right? that's really obvious. Also, how do they afford the rights for that? That's got to cost a fortune to I mean, obviously, do Somewhere Over the Rainbow.
1: Obviously, it's very expensive because it's not included on the
0: DVDs. did want to
1: another time, I guess. Uh, so that's a bummer, but maybe, I don't know, I suggest it's... I like the music that they use at the end here. Uh, it's just fine, you know, and it's not as... Over the top, obvious. Mm-hmm. I like that they went the Wizard of Oz route, but I I think they kind of hammered it hammered it in too much.
0: Yeah, well, no subtlety. Even without the hammering of that, I just don't like the idea as a whole. I I don't like having to say, oh, it was all right. a dream, and there's no consequences to your actions. And though maybe there was some stuff for Joel to learn within that. Yeah, he kind of psychoanalyzes
1: himself, I guess. Yeah,
0: but. which. Mm, we can get to later on. I also feel like we're also hammering in on that a little bit too much, but (laughs) I don't like, I I just feel that's a cheap cop out for a writing trick. I'm with you
1: there. Yeah, for sure. You never want an episode to end or like a movie to end. And it was all a dream. You know, I guess the saving grace, as you said, is that Joel gets to spend some time with his thoughts, you know, Uh, but let's get it. Let's get into it now. So Joel has a twin brother in this, uh, in this fantasy world,
0: yeah, okay. named Jules, right? Yeah, Jules. This has been bothering me for a while. Is that a different actor, or is Joel playing the same twin? I'm glad you brought this up. I think it's obvious that
1: um, Joel is playing Jules, but there are some shots. How that are they are doing it? Was incredibly of the shots? done. Um, anytime they do some of those crazy special effects shots, you can kind of see it in the quality of the film, like. I'm assuming that if you um, are compositing in uh, two different pieces of footage, uh, the film probably gets rougher and rougher the more the more special effects you do to the original image. Mm-hmm. So anytime they're doing that crazy sort of compositing shot, the film looks a little blurrier and smudgier, right? Uh, Did you notice that on some of those shots? No, I actually didn't notice it at all. It'll cut from a shot with Jules and Joel in the same shot, and then the next shot is just a close up on Jules, and you can kind of tell the difference uh, immediately. But yeah, there's some really crazy special effects because at first it's like, you know, Joel is on one side of the frame, Jules is on the other. So you're like, okay, cool. They just like cut a line down the middle, Mm -hmm. but the camera is moving throughout all, all, anytime they do like a, a two shot. They never do it the easy way. The camera's moving; it's uh, moving laterally and along the z-axis, like closer and back up.
0: Uh I
1: have no idea how they do that. I guess with a blue screen at the time. This was before green screen, I guess.
0: Yeah, I. It's pretty impressive. If this TV show was filmed in present time, I would say like, oh, okay, it's some sort of CGI magic that they did. That's pretty common. But I had to keep reminding myself. I was like, this is 1991. Like, how do they do this? So
1: what's crazy to think about? I'm not even going to be able to scratch the surface here, but just maybe we can sort of wrap our heads around it, even if you're not like a film nerd. The idea is we have Joel giving two separate performances. So there's two different moments in time that Joel is standing in front of a camera and we have to cut those together. And it's easy whenever the camera, the shot is like still. The background does not change at all. And you just put Joel on the left side and he does his uh, performance Jules on the right side, he does his performance and you sort of uh, Photoshop, you know, you marry those two images together. The background doesn't change at all. But as soon as you start moving the camera, um, you would have to, I don't know, like you would recreate the same camera movement, which would mean you'd need like a dolly track I was that's gonna say, yeah, motorized. That? And I, think that's a, I don't think that's what they did because that would have been nearly impossible. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I, I really wish there was more behind the scenes stuff, particularly for this type of episode. There are some deleted scenes here, but but no uh, no special features, you know? Hmm, okay. But yeah, they're, they're, I think a large um, amount of this plot line uh, has Joel and Jules split up, which is obviously that's, you know, they wrote it that way, I guess, because it's probably a lot easier to do that. Yeah. Um, but the moments when they are together, I have to hand it to them. Like, uh, like I said, you can kind of tell whenever they're doing a special effects shot just because of the quality of the image, but um, they really pulled it off pretty seamlessly. There is a moment whenever Joel is listening to Jules, maybe in one of the opening shots and uh, Jules crosses camera and goes to sit down. Mm-hmm. But if you watch Joel, his uh, eyeline, like his focus is it's starting on Jules. And then Joel looks to a chair, which um, Jules uh, later goes and sits at. So it's not really synced in. It's like Joel looks oh. a little too early. Like Joel <laughs> is listening to Jules and then he looks at a chair. No one's sitting in the chair. And then Jules... sits down in the chair so they didn't really time it perfectly but um apart from little things like that you know two thumbs up yeah uh, gotta hand it to him
0: so let's talk about the content of him having a twin so (laughs) it turns out that jules is like a loan shark type of character it's kind of implementing Joel's darker seedier side where he's uh
1: yeah i believe later Joel says uh what jules is all id and i'm super ego is that right yeah
0: you know, it's kind of playing off of that theme of light and dark and the two dual aspects that are within humanity, each other. Yeah. Yeah. Within humanity. Um, what is that quote? That famous quote where it's like man has two sides. Uh, I don't know duality of man. Yeah. The duality man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that thing, that thing, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going heavily into that direction, and it turns out that they want to do a... Oh, gosh. I hope I'm getting the movie right. Is it Freaky Friday? What uh, are you switch twins? Freaky Friday. No, that's, that's not Body. Friday. The trap. Paratrap- they're
1: yeah. traffic. That's what I'm thinking of. Freaky Friday is body swap. Yeah.
0: Yes. So they're going to pull a... Parent trap situation when you're switching it. Though this, I, they addressed it later in the episode, but I didn't quite understand this. They say that Joel's really anal retentive in this episode. So surely someone that's that anal retentive knows that it's incredibly illegal to impersonate a doctor.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, so I think it's uh, brought up in the beginning. Jules uh, is a vacation for Joel and Jules also says like, I will not practice medicine. So that's kind of brought up and he says it in no uncertain terms. Like that's the exact quote and capitalized. You know, he, he says it. But uh, by the end of the episode, it's clear that Jules is having to... Um,
0: Prescribe medication yeah. and uh, <laughs> misdiagnosing people. So yeah, I thought it was kind of out of character. This is for the him. first
1: clue that it's a hallucination. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so somehow that ends up happening.
0: So we're seeing that they want to switch roles and so when Jules being Jules, he wants to act upon his... Desire for Maggie in a context that's hidden or obscured because he's not really him. It's his twin that looks just like him and I get the writing on the wall but I feel like they're really beating this in. It's always a will they won't they and I thought they addressed that last season. Like I thought it was already addressed that she was attracted to him. Like why does Joel need more answers out of this? No,
1: I don't think Joel is... Well, okay, you're right, because there is a scene where uh, Joel, who is acting to be Jules, sits with Maggie and tries to get her to talk about Joel. Like, what do you like about Joel? Don't you think he's, like, handsome or something like that? So I agree with you there. Joel is using Jules as a way to um, see Maggie's true feelings. But I will say, I, I don't think that's really the crux of the Jules idea. I think what Joel gets at in sort of his psychoanalysis, um, period, which, which we can set up in a minute, but mm-hmm. it's the idea that Joel has certain desires that he feels he can't personally act upon because of, uh, some, some anxiety or some something wrong with his psyche or, uh, just, just the way he imagines himself is not the kind of person who would be passionately in love with Maggie. So, I, I can agree that this is sort of treading on um, some ideas that we've already visited in season two. Uh, I think you're probably talking about spring break, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the whole episode. Joel is struggling with his, uh, his sort of being too self-conscious, not feeling uh, comfortable. Uh, in his own skin, not feeling comfortable naked too. That's another thing that comes up in this episode still. He says something like if, if, uh, he could shower with his socks on, he would like, so is Joel like a never nude, you know? <laughs> oh, <yeah.
0: laughs>
1: From Arrested Development? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Like a Tobias. <laughs> so no, uh, long story short, I think Jules is sort of a way for Joel to express that he has these pent up feelings that he can't, um, he can't let out. And it's not necessarily the, the idea that like, he's unsure that Maggie doesn't love him or unsure that he doesn't love Maggie. Like, should I be in love with her? I think he is. He just doesn't see himself as the type of person who could be passionately in love. And he's wrestling with that.
0: Oh, okay. That's actually really interesting. So, I guess if we go into overanalyzing mode right here, you brought up the keywords that Joel himself doesn't believe that he can be that type of person. He believes that he is one set of person, which is this very rigid, and there's only a right way or a wrong way and one path to life. And we see later on in the scene where he's with Dr. Sigmund Freud or like an amalgamation yeah. of Dr. Sigmund Freud. Is, oh, it, is it actually him?
1: It's the same actor from Aurora Borealis. So recurring character in Northern Exposure, Sigmund yeah, Freud. <laughs> that's what I noticed, but I don't...
0: Recurring cast member. Are they actually trying to do... I know they address him as Sigmund Freud, but is it actually like the Sigmund Freud or is this some sort of like... I mean, it's the
1: hallucination, like, right? Or, or what yeah,
0: are you Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yeah. are they just trying to make a psychiatrist character or are they actually using characteristics of the original Dr. Sigmund Freud and putting into this character?
1: Yeah, no, I think this is supposed to be for all intents and purposes, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud, oh, yeah.
0: okay, got it. <laughs> so Dr. Sigmund Freud later tells Joel that, like, well, you know, there is multiple paths up the mountain, essentially. Like there's right. multiple solutions to life. Why do you think
1: there's only one answer? Because he's, you know.
0: Right, right. If we overanalyze this, and this might be the redeeming factor in this episode, because it got me thinking about this, is the reason that Joel became a doctor is because it's the quote unquote right way. And so as long as he does everything right in life, then he's living life correctly, at least in Uh terms of Joel's mind. Like he works and studies, works and studies, like Joel said, he only does that. He's doing all of the correct things. And I put correct in quotation marks (laughs) in order to move forward in life. And so he's placed himself into this box of saying, I'm doing the right thing. I'm pursuing the right career. I can't be a bad person because I'm doing these things. But because I can't be a bad person, I also can't do what I would perceive to be bad behavior, like chasing Maggie and uh, being very forward with her.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good that's a great analysis. And I think that's a great point. Um, Yeah, it's sort of the idea of drawing absolutes in your morality, Mm -hmm. um, in a way, I mean, I guess maybe we're going a little too far with it, but exactly what you said, the idea that he believes uh, his life should be lived in a certain absolute correct way. And for some reason that doesn't include these incredibly strong feelings he has. And he's trying to reconcile with that. It's like, "I I think, uh, I think I love her and I don't understand why my anxiety is not letting me, enjoy that. You know, there's mm-hmm. something, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think all this really is, is a will they, won't they, you know, they, they keep, but they're finding new and inventive ways. It's sort of retreading old history, but I think it's uh it still has some life in it. I don't know.
0: There, yeah, there, there is some slight life in it. I just find it a little bit exhausting because I thought they had already
1: gone through this. Yeah.
0: Gone through this, but I, they I, I it, give it props because it made me think of yeah. the stringent line that Joel is living his life. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it in that manner. So I give them props for that. But as a whole, I, uh, think, I really didn't like it and then, uh, really quickly. Yeah. I didn't even know this was a meta commentary, but like <laughs> later on in the scene where Joel was really getting into his deeper issues with Dr. Sigmund Floyd, Floyd falls asleep. And I didn't know that was like a <laughs> meta commentary of the sh- the showrunners. even though it's like, yeah, we beat this horse before even the guy's sleeping. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's pretty funny Joel is uh and
0: it's actually the a
1: scene the scene before that Freud says we're all out of time like I'll see you next time and then when we come back they're still talking I'm like oh wow what's going on mm-hmm. Yeah like, uh yeah and so you can tell I guess beating a dead horse with this idea but yeah I think what really was the problem here is spring break that's uh season 2 episode 5 mm-hmm. really kind of um Kind of climaxed a little too early. Maybe they didn't realize they were going to be uh, signed on for another season, so they didn't really know how if they needed to end the end the show with season two. But I think they, uh, if they're trying to play the long game of a oh, will they won't they, they kind of uh, already spoiled the ending with with that episode, uh, mm-hmm. season two episode five.
0: Yeah, I do applaud them for taking that philosophical route of trying to say like, there's multiple ways up the mountain, but in today's time and like at least in 2019 time do you think that philosophy is still a healthy philosophy i'm not saying that there is necessarily always a right or wrong way but sometimes is there a right or wrong way explicitly like You should not murder, for example, because it seems like Northern Exposure is from the longer that I watch it is delving into these types of issues, these ethical conundrums. And this seems to be a really common one that I'm finding. And this episode is really hammering into it. And I was wondering if this still holds up in today because I
1: I think this is like a timeless uh, and it's also I think it's a problem with no answer. And I don't think the show offers an answer. Uh, necessarily. I mean, now we're starting to talk about philosophy. Uh, so hopefully our <laughs> listeners don't <laughs> fall asleep. Um, don't skip ahead. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to wrap it up pretty, pretty tightly. <laughs>
0: so, I'm sorry. I just really no, wanted to, okay. uh, just felt like the best episode to bring it up. It, yeah. I think this
1: is the time. Uh, no, I think, uh, to answer your question, like for instance, um, is murder an absolutely, uh immoral act? um, Obviously, uh, anyone's answer would be like, yeah, it's wrong to murder. You should never murder anyone. But there are sort of the gray the gray area, like would you murder Hitler or like if someone uh, killed your entire family. <laughs> Sorry, like yeah, like, yeah, what are I'm, talking like, about anymore? I, I know, I like, um,
0: I, I know that there's like street car, not street car, yeah. the car that we like, someone's tied up in the track and uh, you get the push yeah. track and like blah, blah, blah. The trolley someone, uh, problem. Yeah, the trolley Dilemma. car problem. Yeah, I understand that one. I'm just saying like, northern exposure seems to be showing this idea and i already gave them a whole lot of flack about it about the age thing about being like there's nothing wrong about like old people dating (laughs) young people." like no i have like a whole lot of problem with that (laughs) i understand uh, it's an enlightening free thinking uh television series (laughs) i'm just saying that sometimes i wonder if it's aged
1: okay like well yeah no i think um there are elements that don't age as well, we already mentioned uh, the May December romances, but um, for a lot of what they attempt, I don't think they ever uh, stick with like a hard and fast solution. Mm-hmm. They always present ideas and sort of let you take it away. Of course, there's maybe a certain bias uh, to what they're saying, but they're never dumb enough to say this is uh, this is how it is and this is the right answer, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think uh, ultimately Joel doesn't necessarily get a, um, a direct answer. Freud just falls asleep on him. So Mm -hmm. Joel is left to figure it out for himself.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, let's see. There's still a lot that we didn't talk about in this plot line. No, uh, I I
0: was going through like the beats of it really quickly. Let's let's rewind it just a tiny bit. So how did we get
1: to the Sigmund Freud thing? Sigmund Freud is actually psychoanalyzing Joel while Joel is in a jail cell. So what happened, uh, just to kind of like make a long story short... Joel uh, has been masquerading as Jules and is doing some of this uh, sort of... Um, parlor tricks. The parlor tricks to sort of win money from people. And that's when Szymanski finds, uh, finds this going on and arrests uh, Jules, who is actually Joel. But...
0: Oh, uh, I like how they stuck with the character with Maurice on this scene. Because Maurice is a lover of musicals and he took Officer Szymanski out on a date to see Camelot.
1: Oh yeah, okay. So they had just gone to like a dinner theater. That's right. Yeah. And they're returning from that uh, musical Camelot uh, just to hang out at the brick and also have a little snack. I think uh, we learn in this scene that Dave's specialty is a uh, Camarones Aztecas. Do you know what that is? Uh, well, it translates to Aztec shrimp, but I don't. I didn't find any recipes for Aztec shrimp, but me too. Yeah. I'm assuming sort of like a Mexicali style. Uh, shrimp dish. So uh, there you go, Dave's chef special on the menu. You know,
0: apparently that's the only thing he's good at cooking. <laughs> oh yeah, well
1: according to Maurice, oh go down. He says anything Maurice. else here is uh, not so great. But <laughs> yeah, that this is when they're at the break and they see Jules. Uh, I guess what, what illegal act did he commit here? Like, what law is he breaking actually? There's was, cards, uh, there's money. Are they actually gambling? Is that what that's? I
0: thought it was gambling. Was it's, it's sort of like gambling. implied it's, that was the illegal act. He's like swindling them for money. I guess he can't do it inside an establishment. Maybe that's it? That's,
1: I, I have no idea. But actually, I did. Um, when Samansky arrests Jules, uh, you know, Joel, she does say the term bunko which I thought just meant uh, like game over. But apparently bunko uh, means to swindle or a swindle in which a person is cheated at gambling, uh, persuaded to buy a non-existent um, or worthless object or otherwise uh, victimized. And the term bunko comes from bunkum, meaning insincere speech-making by a politician intended merely to please local constituents, insincere talk, claptrap, humbug, that kind of thing.
0: Where is that etymology? Is that from America?
1: It is an Americanism. It says after speech in the Sixteenth Congress, eighteen nineteen to eighteen twenty-one, by F. Walker, who said he was bound to speak for Buncombe. Uh, Oh, it's a it's a North Carolina county, the district he represented. So he's bound to speak for the county named Buncombe. But it also must also mean that he's kind of not kind of talking, not truthfully. Yeah, that's so interesting. Or or talking only what people want to hear. And uh, so I guess this bunco uh, is, is what is the crime that Jules has committed,
0: Joel. Mm. On a related yeah. note, do you know why they call Chicago the Windy City? Uh, no, what's it's up? It's not because of the wind. I was about to say, yeah, is it because it's windy? No, a lot of people think it's the wind. It's actually because a lot of the politicians there speak a lot of air. Oh, like there's, heavy you know, winded. Yeah, it's uh, windy. They're not actually speaking the truth.
1: Wow. It's also mentioned in the scene that Maurice says, you know, he's trying to have a good night with Szymanski. So she's off duty and arresting uh, Joel. And he's like, come on, what are you doing? Like the nearest police station is 200 miles away. But the very next scene is like Joel being brought into.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. (laughs) Did
1: they really drive 200 miles to bring him to jail? Because he's going to jail. Like he's in a jail cell. No, he's going to real jail. Like I guess it doesn't really matter. It's all a dream. so we
0: should, We're trying to <laughs> that's analyze. That's true. This yeah. is a hard
1: episode to analyze. That's
0: what I keep coming back to. It's like, this is kind of hard. That's why I can only analyze or overanalyze like the philosophical elements. Right. The,
1: the, the, the uh, sort of like super, uh, super ideas here.
0: So should we hold this as canon then? Should we say that the nearest police station is... 200 miles away?
1: No, I guess not. And I guess the Cameron's Aztecas aren't actually Dave's mm. specialty. Huh,
0: wow, well, okay. everything
1: that we've been talking about is it oh, means nothing. Light. It's <laughs> meaningless. Uh, so I'm sure we, there's a lot that can be spoken about, but maybe we should just rush through. I, you know, That's basically how Joel gets into jail and somehow Sigmund Freud is in the jail cell with him. We talked sort of about his whole psychology. There's a pretty cool sound bite I can play.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I wanna be spontaneous, I, I, I do. But I have this thing about analyzing my every move and premeditated spontaneity is about as exhilarating <laughs> as getting the measles twice. Okay, let's take O'Connell for example. I and mean, Jules plies her with alcoholic beverages, instinctively tells her everything he knows she wants to hear, flatters her, charms her, and then sticks his tongue down her throat before she has a chance to say ah. I mean, me, do I want her as badly as Jules? Absolutely. But do I pin her against the wall, pressing my chest against her chest, thrusting my hips against her hips? I mean, do I? Who you? Me, yeah. Joel Fleischman. Are you kidding? No way.
1: So, yeah, that was kind of what we were talking about before, Joel not being able to act on this desire that he has. And, um, yeah, we get the idea that Joel is just... It's actually funny because it's in the dream you know, in this jail cell that he realizes that Jules is something that Joel just created in his mind. Like he, I think Joel himself says that he's like, so I just created Jules Mm -hmm. in my mind. And then, you know, there's still scenes with Jules pretending to be Joel as a doctor. You know, it's just funny that in the midst of a dream, we're recognizing that it's a a hallucination or at least Joel is, we haven't really figured that out yet.
0: Mm, I thought I was speaking. For a split second, right. I thought he was speaking metaphorically.
1: I thought so too. Like he is, you could you could perceive it that way as well. Like it could be just he's talking metaphorically, but he could also just be breaking the the dream state in this in this moment. But the last little bit that we haven't really talked about, which I think is kind of a cool masterstroke of this Halloween episode, is that it's also a Thanksgiving episode. Yeah, do uh, you remember the scene? That's what I
0: thought. I was confused at the beginning where I was saying like I think that Frank is. Uh, Knocking on his door right. as Halloween because yeah. they show Maggie yeah. preparing the Thanksgiving dinner or like the pre Thanksgiving right. dinner right there.
1: So I guess the chronology is that is Halloween and, and Joel as Jules, he spends Halloween night in jail, He gets out the next morning and it's the day after Halloween. It's what Maggie calls her Thanksgiving trial run. So she's like preparing all of the food that she would prepare this year at Thanksgiving, but she's kind of weeding out like, what are the best dishes? You know, how should I just trying out all the recipes and making sure she'll get it right on actual Thanksgiving day. But it's fun. It's a really fun way that we can go Halloween straight into Thanksgiving. A lot of times you skip over that. You just go like straight to Christmas. (laughs) You know, November 1st is is Christmas officially. and, And we don't give enough credit to Thanksgiving
0: who is Maggie cooking for like this huge extravagant dinner? Cause she's not with Rick anymore.
1: No, I think she was just doing it for her trial run But she invites Joel over Joel is with her there
0: Right, so, but like for her Thanksgiving though Like who is she going to oh, be with? Oh,
1: for things I think she just does it um, She probably invites people Or she probably brings food to the brick You know, I would imagine it's a very communal oh, I don't oh, think okay. Maggie's going to be alone for Thanksgiving And I imagine all of Cicely uh, Joining hands, you know That's
0: true, because I just you know remembered what? that It was kind of a strange thing for her father to even show So I knew it wasn't for her family Right. I'm sorry, I cut you off were you gonna No, say? no, I cutting you off
1: uh you know what i'm excited to see other holiday themed episodes of northern exposure obviously thanksgiving um has a lot to do with family but there is sort of a big native american tradition with uh i guess at least just the story of thanksgiving and the native americans so i can't really remember what the future of northern exposure holds as far as holiday episodes but i'm mm. hoping that there's a thanksgiving one.
0: Oh, speaking on that uh theme. I love what Ed says whenever uh, he looks yeah. at Joel, yeah, whenever he's swapped with Jules. Yeah. Ed says, oh, don't worry. I won't tell anyone that it's you. You know, and then uh, Joel surprised. And he says, well, how do you know? And he gets, Ed says, oh, it's an Indian thing. We're not taken in by appearances. Yeah.
1: So again, sort of that Indian magic, uh, Native American magic that he can tell. And what's funny is uh, as soon as that happens, Ed goes off into the background and is hanging out with Jules, who is pretending to be Joel sitting at the, at the bar. And, uh, you know, Ed walks up and says, oh, hey, Dr. Fleischman. And Jules says, oh, hey, Fred.
0: <laughs>
1: so it's like obvious that Jules is not playing a convincing um, Joel.
0: You know, I'm surprised that they went in that route, I guess. Because I thought when Ed could recognize Joel, it was because he has like one foot out of reality because uh-huh. one foot's in television land. Ooh. And that's how he was able to tell. I didn't uh-huh. think they would bring up his ethnicity as the reason why he was able to there's see a lot, difference.
1: I difference. I think there's a lot of um, superpowers attributed to Ed be, just simply because he's a Native American. Like, what is it? In the first episode of this season, Shelly asks, uh, she says, Hey, Ed, you're an Indian. Is Rick a dog? <laughs> Do you Remember, she's <laughs> like trying to figure out the Rick That's uh, true. conundrum. Hi, quick correction. The episode I'm talking about is actually episode number four in the third season. It's called Animals Are Us. But, oh, just real quickly, <laughs> there's so much to be said about this episode. I just wanted to say the music that they use in this episode, when it's, a, it's in a lot of the Jules scenes. It's just terrible, like house electronic music. Do you know what I'm
0: talking about? It's like, boops, boops. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really bad. Made uh, on like a Casio or something?
1: <laughs> exactly. The, the song I think that they're replacing according to Moose Chick, uh, which has a list of all the songs is a song called Magazine 60 by Don Quixote. Sounds hmm. spelled. I, I went back and listened to the, uh, the song on YouTube. It's not a great song either, but at least it's better than this kind of weird, uh, yeah, stage like toys club music that's going on. I don't think we've heard anything like that on Northern exposure before. Um, Let's wrap it up with this uh, Thanksgiving dinner. We got there for a second, the, the trial run.
0: Oh, yeah. Let's finish it out.
1: I really like this scene. There's a little sort of dialogue that I, I think it's worth mentioning. Joel is having a great time with Maggie and he calls her O'Connell, which is what Joel normally calls Maggie. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of smiling and she's thinking about it. And she says, wait, what happened to Maggie? Um, you, aren't, you aren't calling me Maggie. And Joel is confused a little bit by this. And she says, well, last night, you know, uh, you called me Maggie. Still, there's sort of like an awkward pause. Maggie is sort of figuring it out. She says, you don't remember, do you? And I like how Joel is like kind of locked eyes with her. He doesn't even skip a beat. And he's like, sure, I remember. You know, he's he's like keeping up the appearance of, he knows that something happened between Jules and Maggie, but he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't know what happened, so he's trying to play along with it.
0: Isn't it how the scene ends? Doesn't yeah. he say I remember every word? Exactly. Yeah, it's
1: a it's a, it's a nice little it's a nice ending because Maggie figured has it has it figured out. Like she knows, she says something like, after that sort of confusion, she says, You know, you and your brother sure do look a lot alike, and you know, they kind of play that out. And um, Joel says, You know, O'Connell, all that stuff I said last night, and it seems like he's about to take it all back. Um, but then he looks at her square in the eyes and he says, I meant every word. And mm. They smile, maybe they cheers, I can't remember, but a, that's when he wakes up, I think,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I forgot to bring up this little detail. Whenever jewels. Is with Maggie. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. Because he does kind of get fresh
0: with Maggie, right? Yeah. He mentions that she has amazing eyes and he says, Has anyone ever told you that? Yeah. In fact, someone has. Him it was Joel. in the pilot.
1: Yeah. It was from the pilot episode. Yeah. That's the exact same line. I thought that was fun too. Yeah. I like good that. Callback. I like It's a callback. Yeah. Jewel says, Has anyone ever told you that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, Yeah, it's exactly. Someone has said those exact words. Well, um, yeah. I think now is as good as any a time to introduce our guest. Oh, we keep forgetting to bring this up in the beginning, but I don't know if it really matters. We have uh, sort of a tradition on this show to introduce Northern exposure to someone new. And oftentimes it's an acquaintance or a friend who has never seen the show. We get them to watch uh, a single episode, you know, this episode and sort of tell us what they think out of context. Does the show stand up? You know, how's it go? But our guest this episode is my good friend Corey, who is uh, not a stranger to the podcasting landscape. He has hosted a few of his own podcasts, uh, just you know, some work that I'm really impressed by, really excited by. Anyway, Corey uh, is a fan of our show. He's never again. He's never watched an episode of Northern Exposure, but he's heard quite a few episodes of our podcast. So I'm really interested. Oh, so he's to, got some
0: context. Yeah, okay. he
1: has like weird context. Like he was telling me the other day that he. Was trying to imagine what each character looked like um, Because he's heard people talk Mm, about the show But he hasn't seen a single image from it Mm. Uh, Anyway, without further ado, uh, let's see what Corey has to say
2: Hey everybody, I just finished watching Season 3, Episode 5 Of Northern Exposure, Jewels at Joel Uh, My initial reactions are that it's a pretty neat idea for an episode Obviously this is playing at the end of the podcast So everything I say isn't going to be a spoiler but it's a Wizard of Oz, I guess not parody, uh, sort of style of story, uh, which I'll get to in a second. But the the premise is a neat idea for a character study of Joel, because you sort of get to see him analyze himself, I guess, technically, in the way it's told. I would have liked it more if Jules or Joel were likable, which I maybe I just you know, I don't have enough time invested in these characters. But Joel doesn't seem like that great a guy. And Joel's clearly isn't meant to be the most honorable of characters. So I found it hard to sort of root for these two. Granted, again, this all takes place in his mind. So these could be exaggerated versions of him. I don't really know. Yeah, it's it's a fun sort of twist on the ways hour-long dramas, or I guess comedies, would be. Um, I know Lee has mentioned on previous episodes of the podcast that this show was known for doing things different. So I imagine in the 90s, this would have been relatively new to do an entire episode that turns out to be a fantasy-style story. Uh, The jail scenes with Sigmund Freud are all... Clearly, they feel like the motivating factor for why this episode was written was for those stories where he's really analyzing himself. There's a lot of clever dialogue in there. I didn't like, oh, on the topic of Joel, he's got the worst taste in food because he orders for the he tells Maggie for the chicken or turkey that he wants white meat, no skin, which is about as terrible an order as you could possibly have, in my opinion. And I also thought it was really bizarre, the accent on the taxi driver at the beginning. Uh, I I couldn't figure out what that was supposed to be. I don't know if that's a recurring character, but that was clearly the most strange thing in the episode. I did want to mention that the B-plot with Chris and this killer on the radio felt like a missed opportunity, because this is their Halloween episode, uh, so they could either have made it... A little scarier. I think they sort of played it safe. If it's a dream and it turns out none of this is real, then you could have had, like, a darker ending where maybe, like, the guy blows up uh, Chris and then you're relieved at the end when it turns out it's a dream, which would have made more sense with Chris reappearing on the radio at the end. Or... You should have done something maybe a little more outlandish, where it's sort of these references to Wizard of Oz. Maybe there's like a weather balloon that rolls in, or they could have had references to a wizard, or they could have had maybe a scarecrow and then like a tin man. I don't know. You could have done something. I felt like it was just a little toothless, for lack of a better word, for a B-plot and a dream that won't have any repercussions because I can't imagine that that was real because the rest of it's in Joel's head. Maybe it was meant to be. I don't know. But overall, I, I thought it was a decent episode. I wanted to finish by saying that I particularly enjoy Halloween episodes of TV shows. I find that... It's not a holiday like Christmas or Thanksgiving where it's sort of like you know what's going to happen. For instance, every Thanksgiving episode is about family coming together and maybe they won't get along. And every Christmas episode is either about is Santa real or, you know, we have to give gifts and everybody's happy at the end. Halloween is a little more open-ended. You can kind of make a scary episode. You can have them wear crazy costumes. You can have the characters act a little differently than they usually would. Which brings me to what I wanted to end this on, which was a question to pose to the hosts, which is, what's a TV show that you enjoy the Halloween episode or episodes of? For instance, I think Bob's Burgers is a good example of a show that does interesting Halloween episodes. Uh, Community would be another one of recent times. So anyway, thanks for having me, and that's my time. All right, yeah, I
1: like how uh, Corey has a request of us like to talk about our favorite Halloween episode of a show. Let's save that for the very end. Yeah. Let's kind of dive into what the other things that he's, he's talking about, um, right off the bat wizard of Oz, which we sort of touched on again. I wish they, I wish they had kind of uh, really embodied that idea a little bit further and not just sort of as the frame, as the ending, you know, I wish there was a little bit more of, I don't know, um, homage uh, throughout the entire episode. It just sort of uh, is backloaded at the end of the episode.
0: Yeah, it seems like it was hastily written for that. And I think that he brings up a point that they could have played around with that theme by yeah. having Chris's segment do the straw man to man lion yeah. to really bring it out, which I don't, you yeah. can do that, but it's also really hammering it home at that point, which they already are doing at the end.
1: But they're writing a very weird line because it's a fun little... Uh, it's like a fun little hint at the ending but they really kind of dig in deep with it and especially if the music at the end was originally somewhere over the rainbow they're kind of really leaning on it too hard for something that only happens in the last like five minutes of the episode uh it's also funny that Corey mentions uh he's not really a fan of jules or joel yeah even if they are very likable
0: hmm i guess that this episode is not really good for someone's first time because he really isn't that likable now that I think about it. And
1: he's characteristically Joel is characteristically kind of a snob and, um, yeah, he's
0: usually pretty, but yeah. sometimes we see that as a positive, like we see, like, oh, he's y- y- there's more to his exterior, there's like a softness. Yeah, I try to look at it from his perspective, and I can see it where. Joel is just trying to get with this girl yeah. by impersonating another person.
1: And he's also pretty just annoying in this episode. He's, he's, uh, Jules plays Joel as, um, very over the top, uh, anal retentive, you know, but even when Joel is Joel, he's kind of annoying. Um, however, we have seen the entire series up to now, and Joel does have very friendly, touching, caring moments where he is, he's a doctor at, you know, more than just the profession of a doctor. Like he kind of embodies uh, just a very caring and helpful person who is always looking out for, for his friends.
0: So it looks like Corey isn't a fan of white meat, no skin.
1: Yeah, well I think that's kind of the most vanilla like bland choice. It's a safe choice, but yeah, I guess the real flavor is in the dark meat, you know, in the skin. You know? mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, oh I <laughs> didn't know this was subtext or not um, uh-huh. or if my mind just went in a very uh, perverted direction but um, Maggie does say like, oh, chicken breast, would you like it white meat or dark meat? And I didn't know it was like a sexual subtext right there.
1: So Joel has a type of uh, sexual attraction to Well, certain, I'm not saying that he was uh, uh, sexually meats. attracted
0: to poultry. No, I'm just saying that, it, it, you know, it, it's a body part. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Make me to be the A-beep.
1: <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that is, It's. I thought that was funny that Corey could point that out. He talks also about the crazy taxi driver uh, sort of brown face that we got there. And it's funny that Corey was like, I don't know if this is a recurring character <laughs> or <laughs> obvious, obvious to us he's just a bit part, but how ridiculous would it be if there was like a taxi driver who ferried people from Manitoba to you know, other Canadian provinces and areas. I think that happens Sicily. in
0: uh, How I Met Your Mother? Isn't there a taxi character on there? Oh, I don't know. I'm not very familiar with that. That's so also kind of like uh, he speaks in almost uh, a stereotypical. Stereotype. Offensive uh, Indian accent. So, so that's the only TV show I can think of that wouldn't be out of place
1: for that. I like that Corey points out the missed opportunity here with uh, the Halloween episode, specifically the Chris Frank uh, plot line, where that's sort of the dark and spooky, uh, where all those dark and spooky elements reside in that plot line. And really, we talked about it on air how that plot line doesn't really get any resolution. And
0: yeah, I think that. Corey is on something that it could have led to something more substantial.
1: Yeah, I think there are elements that I really like. I think we talked about how characters trying to scare other characters, telling scary stories. That's a lot of fun in a Halloween context. But uh, yeah, this episode you could say is a weird one, but compared to some of the weirdest episodes of Northern Exposure... I guess it does stand out, but I, I don't know. There's just some sort of standard that's not being met for the Halloween episode, right? I agree, it yeah. Needs to, it needs to go a little bit further. Uh, yeah, Though this is one that is strange.
0: Yeah, I understand this is their first foray into a Halloween episode, but it doesn't look like they have the pedigree <laughs> necessary to pull this off.
1: Yeah, whether or not it's weirder than any other episode of the show, I mean, every episode's quite weird. This one is uh, one that stands out on my memory for being just notable, you know? It's kind of different.
0: And coming on to Corey's question of what is our favorite Halloween episode, I have two that come to mind that okay. I wouldn't say are my favorite episodes, but I greatly enjoyed them. Uh, the first one is a Simpsons Halloween episode, but it's okay. not a Treehouse of Horror one. Oh. It is the only canon episode hmm. that is just dealing with Halloween. It's called Halloween of Horror, and I think it aired in 2015. And I really enjoyed it because Yeardley Smith, the actress that provides the voice for lisa simpson knocks Uh it out of the park the premise of the episode is that lisa gets scarred from halloween she's still just a young child even though she's incredibly smart and even though the simpsons family is incredibly excited about halloween they have to take down all the decorations in order to help (laughs) lisa get through uh like a PTSD, yeah like a trauma of being scared too much and it goes into themes of a father trying to accommodate his daughter because he Mm -hmm. acknowledges in the episode that he's a really terrible father, but he's still trying to do his best and that someone in the family needs to be able to stand up. And between me and you, Lisa, it's gotta be you. So I really, (laughs) really enjoyed that episode. Um, And I don't know why that's, it's only Halloween episode, but the second one that I really like is the community season two Halloween episode called epidemiology. It's the one where, the dean serves them, I think like some sort of radioactive food and he oh. thinks it's military grade food and it turns all the people into zombies. Oh, nice. And Zombie it's up episode. to, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually kind of like a, a little bit of a scary episode. <laughs> and going along with what Corey says, where he says that Halloween episodes can be about anything, mm-hmm. this particular Halloween episode is about Troy trying to mature and trying to come to terms with still retaining a childlike Innocence and being a quote unquote adult because he thinks he's too... Child is trying to play dress up with Abed <laughs> and he dresses up as sexy Dracula, which is just him with his shirt off, Yeah, <laughs> but he needs to act like a child in order to save the study group and nice. Uh But I think those two would stick out in my mind for favorite Halloween episodes. But All what right, about you, a tie Lee?
1: For, a tie for favorite. Uh, I, it, it took me a while to try to wrap my head around this because... I know, I remember a lot of Halloween episodes, but I couldn't think of like, what was my favorite. I always love Halloween episodes. And uh, I, think, I think the one that really sticks out in my mind was uh, the Rugrats Halloween episode. I think there's a couple different Halloween episodes in Rugrats, but oh, this, is, this is the one, it's called Candy Bar Creep Show. And it's the one where the parents have sort of uh, designed um, sort of like a haunted house experience, uh, you know, for the kids to go through. And I think it's one of the first ones, uh, episodes that introduces the Reptar bar, which is like a chocolate candy bar that also has some sort of green stuff in it. And it turns your mouth green when you eat it.
0: I wanted that so much as a child. Me
1: too. I think that's what really (laughs) stuck out. I can't really remember too much about that episode. I know Angelica goes through the haunted house. I, I think you have to go to the haunted house to get a Reptar bar. And like the babies are too young to go through. But they somehow devise a plan, and it like scares Angelica. I just remember her getting scared, and uh, the, the, at the end, the babies do get the reptar bars, which is nice.
0: Nice. <laughs> that's a good pick, man. I totally forgot about yeah,
1: I That was the thing. I was trying to think of shows that I watched when I was really small, um, and you know, some things come to mind, but nothing really took the cake. I think I think that's the one. Hmm. Nice. Anyway, there we go, man. The first holiday episode, as it were. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll get some more fun holiday-themed episodes. I'm really kind of gunning for a Thanksgiving episode, though. Honestly, I can't remember what, uh, what's to come. But... I'm going
0: for that Arbor Day episode.
1: <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't put it past this show. That kind of seems like something that could happen here in Sicily, like a giant tree episode. <laughs> I, think there, I think that exists. Uh, but the next episode is number six in season three. It's called The Body in Question. Hmm. A- any ideas, uh, any predictions?
0: I, I don't think they're going to do this direction, uh, but I really hope they do where it turns into an NCIS type of northern exposure. Oh That would be awesome, but I, I don't hey. think they're doing that.
1: <laughs> you know, maybe you're not too far off. We have had an episode, um, what's it called? All is Vanity, where they f- sort of find a dead body in town. And the body in question really kind of uh, evokes the same sort of story, like the idea behind that. So maybe it'll be something similar. Um, but I think, yeah, maybe we can draw our comparisons and our differences next hmm. episode, next week. Okay. Um, Charles, thanks for podding with me.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming along with me too. See ya. All right. northern overexposure podcast is edited by lee our theme song was remixed by matt jackson thanks to laser kitties for the podcast artwork and thanks to Corey for being our guest analyst if you'd like to write into the podcast you can reach us at northern overexposure podcast at gmail.com and of course thank you for listening